0: welcome to the buddha sasana podcast this talk was given by bhikkhu chendita in austin texas Last week, we introduced the Satipatthana as the practice of mindful observation, of watching our own experience, ardent, clearly comprehending, mindful, having removed covetousness and displeasure in regard to the world, according to dharmic principles, in order to gain insight about how the world works, in particular, about how our minds work. We also set out to place the Satipatthana within the Noble Eightfold Path, the eight bullet points of practice. Today I want to continue circling around the Satipatthana rather than delving straight into the text in order to gain an appreciation of what the Satipatthana is for. In particular, in the next two weeks, I want to discuss further four of the eight steps on the path whose understanding is essential to the satipatthana. Right understanding, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. Rather than being discrete practices, these four factors interact and cooperate with each other in interesting ways not often noted. Let's start with right understanding. Our task here is to understand the dharma the teachings of the Buddha, which provide the basis of our practice. The process of development of right understanding is described as follows, which are called promisingly the stages of liberation. One, the teacher or a fellow monk in the position of a teacher teaches the Dharma to a monk, dot, dot, dot. There's a refrain that follows each of these points, which I'll come back to in a bit. I will say dot, dot, dot to let you know I've skipped over something. Two, he himself teaches the Dharma to others in detail as he has heard it and learned it. Dot, dot, dot. Three, he recites the Dharma in detail as he has heard it and learned it. Keep in mind that this was spoken in an era in which there were no written texts. Instead, practitioners memorized and recited to each other. In modern places and days, we do the equivalent of these first three steps differently, much like we would study for, say, a chemistry class, jumping from here to there, rereading passages, etc. Burmese still study Buddhist texts through rote memorization in the traditional way, even though they have access to printed texts. In fact, they seem to study everything this way, presumably even chemistry. Many years ago, one of the Burmese monks here in Austin wanted to get a Texas driver's license. He got a hold of the driver's handbook to learn the rules, then proceeded to memorize the whole thing so that he could recite it word for word. Wrote memorization is an art in that culture. The last two stages of liberation are more interesting and not so subject to cultural variation. Four, he ponders, examines, and mentally inspects the Dharma as he has heard it and learned it, dot, dot, dot. This is where we see the thought behind the texts and begin to ask, what does this have to do with me, with my experience of the world? We would want to relate the Dharma we have studied to our own experience. This is the beginning of mindful observation and why I said last week that the Satipatthana can be viewed as an extension of right understanding as well as of right mindfulness. If I've studied the Four Noble Truths, I want to discover suffering and craving in my own experience to get to the bottom of this claim that craving is the origin of suffering. If we were instead studying chemistry, this is the stage at which we would conduct experiments, mix things together and watch them either change colors or blow up. 5. He has grasped well a certain object of concentration, attended to it well, sustained it well, and penetrated it well with wisdom dot, dot, dot. Dharma develops from scripture to something integrated into a wide fabric of experience, to something internalized beyond the conceptual to the point that we effectively perceived through the eyes of the Buddha. What's significant here is that we encounter whatever we are contemplating at the time with a concentrated mind, with utmost stillness, without distraction. That is how we become most intimate with our experience and how we develop knowledge and vision of things as they really are, which is a step away from Awakening. A bird watcher goes through a similar process of acquiring understanding in her particular skill, as does the student of many a multifaceted craft. She begins with reading or consulting the Peterson's Field Guide with its invaluable sketches, descriptions, and seasonal distribution maps, tries to remember colors, markings, behavioral patterns, and calls. Then she brings her understanding attentively to mind as she observes alightings and flights around feeder and bush. The more she engages in her hobby, the more her understanding is refined and integrated with her knowledge of local landscape and flora. With time, much of her understanding becomes internalized as a matter of direct perception of the feathery realm such that she need but catch the slightest motion and glimpse of a tail in order to identify, in an instant without thought, Oh, a Carolina chickadee! Effectively, she has learned to see through the eyes of Roger Tory Peterson. Although it's not mentioned, mindfulness is critical through this process of understanding. Recall that mindfulness is memory or recollection. At each step, we are recollecting their literal texts for learning, teaching, or recitation, or we are recollecting the principles behind them for contemplation and internalization. The birdwatcher is mindful of what she has learned from books and from Sierra Club meetings as she attends to Bush and Sky. This might seem removed from the in-the-moment feature we associate with mindfulness, but we'll see next week how the two are related. Let's return to the role of concentration in right understanding. Many meditators are taught that concentration has to be pursued separately from insight, or how things really are, and in fact that concentration is not necessary for awakening. They are taught that concentration, which is also to say the jhanas, are extremely difficult to attain and that they shut down the mind so completely contemplation is impossible. That is certainly not what the Buddha is telling us here. That concentration is difficult is an ancient notion that goes back at least to the Visuddhimagga, the 5th century path of perfection. Let me give three more explicit statements of the Buddha that concentration is essential for insight or awakening. In the Samyutta Nikaya, we have, Bhikkhus develop concentration. A monk with concentration understands in accordance with reality. In the Anguttara Nikaya, a book of tens, we have, when right concentration does not exist, For one failing right concentration, the proximate cause is destroyed for knowledge and vision of things as they really are. In the Anguttara Nikaya Book of Sixes, we have, The knowledges are for one with concentration, not for one without concentration. In the Dhammapada, we have, There is no jhana for one with no wisdom, no wisdom for one without jhana, but one with both jhana and wisdom, he's on the verge of Nibbana. In fact, the role of concentration in developing right understanding is much more general than the last stage of liberation. The full passage for each of the five stages of liberation cited above concludes with an identical passage for instance where i cited earlier 3 he recites the dhamma in detail as he has heard it and learned it dot 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 this is followed by the passage in whatever way he experiences inspiration in the meaning and inspiration in the dharma as he does so joy arises in him When he is joyful, rapture arises. For one with a mind of rapture, the body becomes tranquil. One tranquil in body feels pleasure. For one feeling pleasure, the mind becomes concentrated. This is the third stage of liberation. Wow, concentration has been with us all along. It often goes unacknowledged in modern circles that recitation can be an integral part of concentration practice. Concentration is much more commonplace in Buddhist practice than most people think. The Buddha tells us, For one of right mindfulness, right concentration springs up. One thing to notice in the previous passage, is that concentration is the end of a causal chain. Remember, inspiration gives rise to joy. Joy gives rise to rapture. Rapture gives rise to tranquility. Tranquility gives rise to pleasure. And pleasure gives rise to concentration. In fact, we see this chain repeatedly in the suttas, or at least some abridgment of it. The Buddha speaks of a natural progression that arises effortlessly in the virtuous person who finds satisfaction in life as a result. Monks, for a virtuous person, one whose behavior is virtuous, no volition need be exerted. Let satisfaction, which is non-regret, arise in me. It is natural that satisfaction arises in one who is virtuous, one whose behavior is virtuous. For one with satisfaction, it is natural that joy arises in one with satisfaction. It is natural that rapture arises in one who is joyful. It is natural that the body of one with a delighted mind is tranquil. It is natural that one who is tranquil in body feels pleasure. It is natural that the mind of one feeling pleasure is concentrated. Variations of the progression, rapture gives rise to tranquility, gives rise to concentration, are repeated in the context of various Buddhist practice. Here this progression is said to be a natural Effortless, consequent of the practice of virtue. This touches on the supramundane or even mystical aspect of practice, whose experience far exceeds and is put into sharp contrast with normal mundane experiences. Another well-known teaching describes this process in detail as a causal chain beginning with mindfulness. The seven factors of awakening are the following causal sequence describing a process that produces insight. 1. Mindfulness 2. Investigation of Phenomena 3. Energy 4. Rapture 5. Tranquility 6. Concentration 7. Equanimity the first three of these factors correspond to mindful observation, or satipatana. Recall that a bhikkhu abides contemplating the body in the body, ardent, fully aware, and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. Mindfulness is the entry point of dharma. Investigation is observation itself, along with clear comprehension, energy is ardency, and non-distraction. The next three factors of awakening, rapture, tranquility, and concentration, form the same series we found with regard to the practice of right understanding and to the practice of virtue. It is everywhere. It is the natural progression of factors that arise when we are mindfully inhabiting a wholesome practice task with undistracted mind. The final factor, equanimity, is characteristic of the highest stage of concentration. This is a state of impartiality, beyond like and dislike, which is particularly conducive to wisdom and ultimately to awakening. The seven awakening factors are almost equivalent to the five stages of liberation, but shift the emphasis away from right understanding to right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. In conclusion, we've been standing outside of the Satipatthana practice itself and looking at its relationship to the rest of Buddhist practice. I hope this will give us an idea of the function of the Satipatthana before we look at its structure. We can already see that the Satipatthana is highly integrated with right understanding and with right concentration and cannot be meaningfully separated from them. Next week, I want to turn to right effort and particularly to right mindfulness itself, but also by standing outside of the satipatthana. We will see that mindfulness is the key factor in bringing both wisdom and concentration into satipatthana, not to mention right effort.